The reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Tori, for reading that with uh, such grace and gravitas. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please do open it at Acts chapter 1. I'm going to be dotting around and speaking this evening to the theme, uh, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. So we're going to look at a number of verses. But if you get bored listening to me, which often happens, I find, you know, read the Bible. That's very exciting. Acts chapter 1. It is a privilege to be here, and I'm really grateful for the invitation. You've been here four years, I've finally come, and I thank you for that. Uh, I would have come sooner if had you invited me. And um, <laughs> no. I had the privilege of speaking uh, at a church weekend away for St. Saviour's about 10 or 11 years ago. I had a great time then, and it's good to be back and to see some faces from then. And uh, I love Mike and Bex. I've uh, known them a long time, almost 20 years. I was a university chaplain in Oxford for seven years. And uh, during that time, every, I, I ran three house parties a year for the students. And uh, I sort of cut, they were the thing that I loved the most. And I just coveted them. And they were just opportunities for, uh, you know, teaching the students in the sort of intensive weekend and God would often show up in wonderful ways and I remember I was just sat there remembering that on one occasion my second son was due to be born and uh, so I couldn't do this house party and uh, do you remember you went and did it for me and um, I wouldn't let anyone else take it but you did it and they had an amazing time and your leadership has been fantastic in London and in New Zealand, and now here. And thank you for the invitation. Three things have struck me today uh, in terms of architecture. I'm not a pr prophetic sort of person, and uh, I don't really pay that much attention to that around me, really. But as I was driving in, I was struck by a row of houses coming in with the most uh, amazing chimney stacks. You'll all know what I'm talking about. You, you live here, but as you're sort of coming in from the main road on the A3, 
just this row of houses with the, these remarkable chimney stacks. They were double chimney stacks going above the house. And I thought, I wonder if they're still in use. Or are they there just looking pretty and interesting and somewhat archaic? Or are they still in use? This is still working. Apologies to the guys on the sound desk. The second thing that struck me was the steeple of your church here. And I thought, as I was driving in, I didn't know where to come, and I typed into my sat-nav, and it said it didn't recognize the address. But as I came in, I saw the steeple. And I thought, ah, oh, I bet that's it. And I headed towards the steeple, and here we were. I'm not sure churches should have steeples. I think they should have chimney stacks. And I think that they should be bellowing out smoke for all to see that there is a fire in this place. The third thing that struck me this afternoon at, at Bet and Mike's house was we sat in the lounge and uh, had a lovely time after a lovely lunch. I warmly commend them to you for a Sunday afternoon. And, uh, and Mike said to me, there's a fire behind there, but under a previous vicar, they blocked it up. A fireplace with the fire flue, and it had all been boarded up, and they were relying on the radiators. Maybe the diocese thought a fire was too messy, maybe not cost-effective, too much coal dust, too much aggro, building a fire, cleaning a fire, stoking a fire. Much better to just run the radiators. But there, this wonderful feature that would have been there in the front room, the fireplace is no longer a fireplace. And as I was looking at that this afternoon and praying about this evening, I thought, how tragic. That the church that is meant to be a fireplace, marked by the fire of God, that all too often in the church, not just the vicarage, but in the church, that they've blocked up the fireplace. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And they waited ten days after the ascension, and they were praying, and then the power came upon them 40 days the power came upon them and what was that it was the power of God it was the power of the Holy Spirit and it was God visiting them as tongues of fire dividing and separating on all of them setting their tongues on fire and filled with the spirit they spilled out onto the streets and there the crowds gather and they preach the gospel and 3,000 added to their number one sermon on one day. The church in England is hemorrhaging 3,000 every day or more. But they added one in one day, 3,000 in one sermon. What a difference a day makes. What a difference the fire makes. What a difference God makes when he is upon the church. And my theme that I want to spiral around this evening, briefly, in fact, let me look at my watch, is this, that we need more of God in the church and that the presence of God in the church will be marked by fire. 
And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about something abstract and out there or another congregation along the way. We're talking about here. We're the church. We're talking about you and me. We need more God in our lives. There's not enough God in our lives. Not enough of his presence and his power and his fire and his glory and his beauty and his majesty about us. There was a distinguished preacher called W.E. Sangster of a different generation, a Methodist man. He was interviewing a young ordinand for the ministry, a young candidate. And uh, the young candidate was rather nervous. And the sangster says, well, tell me about yourself, your sense of call and so on. And rather sort of shaking, he said, I'm, I'm not the sort of man to set the Thames on fire. And sangster said to him, young man, I'm not asking whether or not you can set the Thames on fire. What I want to know is, if I were to put you in it, would it sizzle? If I were to dip you in it, would it sizzle? St. Paul said, never, Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal, but be ablaze by the Holy Spirit serving the Lord. And this is our birthright. This is our destiny. This is our great need. This is God's desire, and this is the world's need for a church to be on fire, not steeples. Oh, look, there's the church. There's a tall point. I can find out where it is. But chimney stack with a fire below. I've got a few simple points. They're all pretty much the same. The first is this. That God is a consuming fire. That scripture tells us that the way that God reveals himself, that God defines and describes himself, is as a consuming fire. In the ancient world, there were... Uh, over 30 different specific gods associated with fire. All the pagan religions had fire gods. But our God, the Jewish God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not a fire God per se, but he is a God who reveals himself by fire. And it's a primary metaphor for God and a symbol of his presence. Why fire? I don't know. But it's with the God revealed in Scripture that we have to do. And he is the one revealed as fire. And there's something elusive about fire. And beautiful and powerful and unconstrained and unmistakable and life-giving and passionate and dangerous and wondrous. And all these things are tied up and just part of what it means for God to reveal himself as fire. God accepted Abraham's sacrifice and Solomon's dedication of the temple by sending his spirit and consuming it in fire. God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush that didn't burn. The God who reveals himself as fire. God led Israel by night in a pillar of fire. God appeared in glory on Mount Sinai as a consuming fire. Elijah asked God to vindicate himself, to prove himself 
against the false prophets of Baal. And they made a sacrifice. They whipped themselves into a frenzy, cutting themselves and, and just calling upon the Baals. The God who answers by fire is God, but the Baals are not there. They can't answer by fire. Then Elijah builds a sacrifice, brings 12 stones, the restoration of the tribes of Israel and Judah, brings them together. Slays an ox, puts it out, soaks it in water that they've brought up from the sea. And then he calls and God sends fire and consumes the whole thing. The God who answers by fire. Today the world mock the church. Where is your God? We need God to come and answer by fire. So that the pagans can say, Yahweh, he is God. Daniel had a vision of the Lord, the ancient of days, with white hair like wool. And Daniel goes on, his throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would baptize them in the spirit and fire. And when we get to Pentecost, we see the God who comes and visits and anoints and appoints by fire. So the question for us this evening and the challenge for us, the challenge for me is, do I know anything about this? Has that fire ever fallen on me? Has that fire awoken me? Has that fire ignited me? I'm, I've spent my Christian life reading about revivals. I want to be part of one. I don't want to just look back nostalgically. I don't just want to illustrate my sermons historically. I want to have a testimony of the God who meets us in fire. When Paul in Romans 12 says, never be lacking in zeal, but be ablaze by the Spirit, he's picking up all those motifs of the Old Testament. And what he is saying is this, the mark of the church should be God. The mark of the church should be God, the God who reveals himself as fire. The scent of God should cling to us. Something of his nature and his character and his attributes and his predicates somehow associated with us because God has saved us by his precious blood that has cleansed us through his son's death and his spirit is within us. Something of God about the people of God. And what is that fire? It's the fire of love. The fire of his love for us. The fire of our love for him. The fire of, our, uh, of love in us for the world. The fire of love. The fire of power. Fire power. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. I'm jealous that our brother gets to go tomorrow to talk to all these warriors about their jets and firepower. But we, the church, are to be firepower with God with us. And then the fire of holiness, the fire that cleanses us and purges us. Piers Plowman wrote in the medieval era uh, a spiritual work, a bit like Pilgrim's Progress. He said this, Many of you are a light. It's really, it was a criticism of the church at the time. Many of you are a light, but you're not a blaze. You're not beacons that catch the eye. 
You're a light, but you're not a blaze. I know that's true of me so often. I am a light. I am awakened. I am saved. But is there the power? Is there the fire? Am I marked and branded by God's present, the fire of love, the fire of power, and the fire of his holiness? You'll know the story, many of you will, of Blaise Pascal, the famous 17th century mathematician and philosopher and apologist for the Christian faith. When he died, they were laying out his body and they found stitched into his doublet, which was a sort of linen waistcoat that you wore like a vest underneath, they found stitched into the doublet over his heart was a piece of vellum that he had written on. And there were various things there, but it, the heading was this, the night of fire. Night of fire. 23rd of November, 1654, second conversion. He didn't have the language. You can only be converted once. You can only be born again once. But it was such a remarkable and powerful and all-transforming experience that he had to put it in terms of a second conversion. John Wesley did the same. It was so radical. And then he says this, just this, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not the God of the philosophers, he says. Not the God of the scientists. And what was the experience of this encounter with God that was about fire? He says, certitude. Certitude, I know that I know that I know that there is a God and he is for me. Feeling, joy, peace. Some of you here this evening, you have no certitude in your faith. There's no joy, there's no peace. And the answer is not yet another Alpha course or another apologetics book, or however helpful they are and they are. The answer is more of God in your life. He says, God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. What a thing. The greatest mind of his age. The greatest mind of his age. After this encounter, he wrote the most wonderful apologetic arguments that are collected together in the Ponces. But an encounter with the living God. An encounter, he says, was fire. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced this? And if not, why not? And if not, why not today? That's my first point. Not a bad point, I thought. <laughs> Biblical. Our God is a consuming fire. Secondly, the church was birthed in fire. Church is born in fire. You receive power and the Spirit comes upon you. And there they are, waiting in the upper room, praying together with the women. The women are bringing their prayers and they're more effective, I think. And there they are, praying. And the fire falls. I'd really like to be a motorbiker, but my wife won't let me. Yeah, I mean, I've spent too long in hospital and in wheelchairs and things like that. I've been, uh, uh, suffered various accidents and now, you know, in the car. So I've got a waistcoat. But what I really want is a Harley. Some of you will have seen some of these biker tattoos. There's one that I'd like. Even if I don't have a bike, I'd like the tattoo. It says, born to burn. 
born to burn. I'd like one here in Latin, Benedictus Benedicat, because I'm in Oxford. Let the blessed one bless, or the blessed ones bless. And you're born to burn. Because that is the Christian birthright. The church was born in fire. As the disciples gathered together expectantly and obediently in prayer, suddenly the sound like a mighty wind filled the house and, and what seemed like tongues of fire came and rested upon all of them. Not just the men came and rested on all of them and it set their tongues on fire. And as I said, they were filled with the Spirit and they spilled onto the streets and they poured out their praises to God and a crowd was drawn and 3,000 added to their number that day. When are we going to see that? The tongues of fire were not simply an experience for them. They were not simply evidence of God, but they were an equipping. Being equipped to proclaim the gospel and advance the kingdom and bring glory to the sun and push back the principalities and powers of darkness and let God's glory spread over the world. F.F. Bruce once talked about the early church as the spreading flame. He was a wonderful old brethren preacher. The spreading flame. And here's the thing, in three centuries, these men and women from the backwater of the Roman Empire, turned the Roman Empire upside down. And the greatest kingdom that the world had ever seen turned upside down and bows before Jesus and officially becomes Christian. 3,000 in one day, an empire in 300 years. But here we are, we find ourselves in a church today that's dwindling, all too often, where you see in the West church growth, much of it is just migration. It's just borrowing from other churches. Where is the real advance? Linda Woodhead, a professor of sociology of religion at Lancaster, said last year, we are living through the biggest religious transition since the Reformation. The Church of England and the Church of Scotland are in collapse. Is she telling the truth? Statistically, probably. But is that the end of the story? Definitely not. But what is the answer? We need more of God in church. And if we get more of God in church, we get more of others in the church. I think one of the reasons so often people wither away and fall away from church is because church has lost the sense of God. They might as well have the day off with their family. You know, prophetically, a bishop's mitre symbolizes tongues of fire. Did you know that? You know that funny thing they wear? Some people think it's Dagon, the fish god head, but they're wrong. But you can find people saying, oh, it's pagan. It's not pagan. It's a symbol of tongues of fire. Why? Because... The bishops as the representative regional heads of the church who uphold, meant to uphold the fidelity to doctrine, the unity of the church, are also the ones who ignite the church. That's why they come. Recently, we had, two weeks ago, we had a confirmation. They come and they lay hands and they pray for the anointing of the spirit. They're meant to be fire setters. 
Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, said, Christianity is fire-setting. It's incendiarism, he said repeatedly. Incendiarism. That's what we're meant to be. That's the, meant to be the mark of us, fire-setting. I was doing a conference for Helena Bickers in, in um, France, as it happened. And there were a number of bishops there. I was terrified, you know what I mean? A rough old ex-butcher from the West Country with all these, uh, there, were, there was an archbishop. I mean, it was, it was, it was frightening. But I still wore my waistcoat, but I was nervous. And one night, it was Bishop Richard Charters, and what a legend he has been, but it was Bishop Charters. And he came down in the morning and he'd had quite a night of it. Why? Because the fire in his room had set the room on fire. And they had to come in. The room was all caught ablaze. I saw him in the morning all a bit first. I said, Bishop, with respect, this is the job. This is the job. Prophetically, may I say, just as this is the job. You're meant to set fires. You bring the presence of God. This is a symbol, may I say, dear Bishop. I think you liked it. I like him. We're going to miss him. We need more like him. He understood fire setting. Advance the church. More of God. No one ever paid attention to an empty fireplace. I mean, I was sat in the vicarage today next to what had been a fireplace, but I wasn't sat there looking at it saying, I bet that was a wonderful fireplace. It was irrelevant. And no one ever sits in there, we've got a proper old fireplace in our old vicarage, but it still works. But we don't sit there looking at it saying, wow, that's a fireplace. What a wonderful fireplace. I mean, some people like going around churches and saying, what a wonderful form of fireplace. But actually, light a fire. Light a fire in it, and everyone wants to sit around it and stare at it. Fire draws attention and interest. And we need, that, we need there to be fire in church. There's more fire in my life, more people to be interested in the Lord who I follow. More fire in church, you wouldn't be able to keep people, you wouldn't be able to fit them all in. We need the fire of God. One of the great old preachers called Leonard Ravenhill once said, you don't have to advertise a fire. He said it's the most self-authenticating thing in the world. No one's ever walked past a fire and said, is it or isn't it? Is that a fire? I'm not sure. You think it's a fire? It could be a fire. You know. I mean, fire's fire. We know when there is a fire, we know when there isn't. There might be a few seconds between, between just a few sparks and the blaze, but when there's a fire, there's a fire. There's no, is that a fire? It authenticates itself. Ravenhill says on one occasion, he got home, he'd been preaching late. He got home. And when he came into the house, early hours of the morning, woke up his wife. She said, what is it? He said, get your kit on. We've got to get in the car. The mill is on fire. And everyone has come to watch it burn. Steeple, you've got a great steeple. But what you need is a great fire. And once in my life have I been part of a church that was going through like a local revival. I don't know. We didn't advertise it, but people came from miles around every Sunday, and we had to have police directing the traffic in Nailsy in Somerset. Fire. Fire draws a crowd. 
A fire keeps the darkness back and draws the crowd. We need a fire. I wasn't going to preach on this tonight. That's why I'm not quite clear on where I'm going. And we fight fire with fire. We fight fire with fire. In 1666, the Great Fire of London left 90% of the population homeless. But amazingly, there were only six reported deaths. But it also coincided with the end of the bubonic plague. And that in London alone the year before had killed 100,000 people. But the fire, I mean there are different views, but many think that the fire of London killed all the rats and killed the plague. You fight fire with fire. Sometimes if there are brush fires or forest fires, in order to, to combat them, they, they light other fires in the undergrowth, suck out all the oxygen, and nothing for the fire to advance and burn on, and the fire burns itself out. And in our society today, the fires of hell are rampaging. There is wild fire everywhere, and we need to fight fire with fire, as Shakespeare said. And we need more fire of God in the church to put out the fires of hell that are raging out there. Our society, I was actually thinking about this driving over this morning and early. That this society, I mean it seems to be in a bad place now, but in the early 18th century it was in an even worse place. In London... You know, every tenth house was a gin house. Drunk for a penny, drunk the straw for two. There was a notorious case where, where uh, a mother sold her child to get money just to be able to buy gin. I mean, prostitution was rife. Numerous things that you could be executed for and people were executed and others would bring their sandwiches to watch and enjoy. It was entertainment. Our society was marked by darkness. The devil was abroad in the streets. And what did God do? He anointed a couple of amazing men, George Whitfield and John Wesley in particular. John Wesley had been sent, he'd gone as a missionary to America, but he'd been indiscreet, there'd been some problems. He came back with his tail between his legs. But on the way back, he was aware of the Moravians, that they had something he didn't. They believed in God. They knew the God they believed in. And in a storm, they weren't afraid. And when he got back, he went up to London to meet some of these Moravians at Aldersgate. And there he heard um, the preface to Romans being read. And he says he felt his heart strangely warm. And by the morning he was able to write, I have moved from having the son of a, the faith of a servant to the faith of a son. And he was born again. But that began as a warm, my heart strangely warmed. It took over and became a blazing fire. Years later he was asked what was the, the, the basis of his success. He said, I set myself on fire and people came to watch me burn. And him and George Whitfield Men on fire with the presence and anointing of God turned this nation back to God. And instead of having um, a, 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 another civil war, instead of going the way of France at that time, we didn't have a revolution, we had a revival. 
We had a revival because these men set themselves on fire. How they came close to God. How can we get set on fire? And this is my last point. If you're keeping points, I'm not sure what we've made. But this is one. It's proximity to divinity that makes us incendiary. That it's our proximity to God that sets us on fire. We need more of God in us. We need to come closer to God. We need to be ignited by God. We need to come to the burning bush and go away as burning bushes. We need to be men and women ablaze. There needs to be more of God about us. The fire of his love, the fire of his power, and the fire of his holiness. More of God. We need a Pentecost. And if we had one 20 years ago, we need another one. We need to be filled with the Spirit and set on fire. And how does that happen? Let me just say two things. We've got to lay the fire, and then we've got to lay on the fire. We've got to lay the fire, and we've got to lay on it. We've got to build a fire, and then we put ourselves on it. How do we build the fire? How do we build the fire? We build it through prayer. We build it through studying God's word and aligning our life rightly with it. We build it by saying, God, search me and try me. See if there is any offending way in me through repenting of our sin. We build it through the disciplines. We build it through devotion. We build it through giving ourselves to God, of obeying him, of complying with his word. That's why this morning I was teaching on going deeper with God, how through the word, we need to get back to the word and get the word back in us. Fifty years ago, non-Christians knew the Bible better than Christians today. We've never had such access to scripture, such access to theological knowledge, and yet such ignorance. I think it's a, I mean, many people now, they got, I've got a Bible on my phone, but they don't read it. You need to have a personal relationship with it. Go and buy a Bible. If, whenever I feel that my faith is, I just feel slightly dry, I go and buy a new Bible. I'm always buying new Bibles. Does my wife's head in, but I think she understands. And then I'll give them away. But I buy a Bible. Here we go again, a new Bible. Let's start again. And begin again at the beginning. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to his word. Seek God. Like Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm just not letting you go. Jacob had hold of the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, get off. And Jacob, he won't go in anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm holding on. I held on to my brother's ankle coming out of the womb, and I'm holding on to you now. I'm not letting go. And finally, the Lord says, all right, then. Touches his thigh, goes down on his knees. We've got to find our knees again. Humbles him and then blesses him. You're Jacob, but now you're going to be Israel. You'll be the father of a nation. From his loins came the Messiah, the king of the world. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Some of us let go too soon. Some of us never took hold. We wake up. It's the angel of the Lord. Oh, turn back to sleep. Come on, saints. We've got to lay the fire, and then we've got to lay on the fire. We've got to get on the fire. We've got to put ourselves on it as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and ask him to consume us.
of ourselves on the fire. Well, that's been a bit meandering. I'm sorry, but I was going to preach on something different. But those things that I saw just made me want to teach on this theme. A blocked up fireplace. We need to unblock the blocked up fireplaces. Have you, is it blocked up in your life? How do we block it up? Through sin, through compromise, through complacency. We just put another brick in front of the fireplace. We've got to get rid of the bricks. We've got to build the fire and we've got to get on it. Amen? It's a wonderful spire. But wouldn't it be wonderful if it was a chimney and smoke for miles around and everyone, churched and unchurched, says, that's Saint Saviour's. There's a fire in that place. And it begins not with the church and not with the leadership, not with the institution and not with the PCC. It begins with thee, with you. Catch fire before the vicar does. I mean, he's catch fire. No disrespect, he's got it. Catch fire. Catch fire. Would you like to stand? Thank you for listening to me patiently. The disciples had to wait for Pentecost for them. But actually, we don't have to wait because Pentecost has already begun. And the promises have already been laid out to us by the Lord. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more would your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask, seek, and knock. Being filled with the Spirit is not, a is not for the privileged few, but it's for us all. And that's why St. Paul can say, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it actually says, go on, etc. Go on, being filled with the Spirit. You may have been filled with the Spirit at John Wimber Conference or a renewal event 20 years ago or new wine two years ago, but be filled with the Spirit today. You've got to keep putting fuel on the fire and you've got to keep the fire going. And so tonight, we want to give you an opportunity to just come and seek God. Even the act of coming forward is saying, I am putting myself on the fire. I'm giving myself to God. I'm wanting to get right with him. I'm wanting to put things in place. I'm wanting to repent of my sin. I'm wanting to turn from everything I know to be wrong and not quite right in my life. And I'm turning to him and I'm giving myself to him. And I'm for him and I want the fire of God. And I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. What a wonderful thing that the God and Lord of the universe humbles himself and is associated with us. He saw us from afar and he loves us. And he set up home in our hearts. And he wants us to be marked by his blazing presence. What a thing. So we're going to worship for a little while. And we're also going to have an opportunity for, for prayer. So I'd like to invite you, if you want to be prayed for, many of you won't. But some of you will. Many of you want to process what I've had to say. Many of you know you've got things you've got to reflect upon. But others are saying, yeah, I'm ready. Get out of the way. Shut up. Move off. Let's go. And do you want to be prayed for? So let's do it. I'd like to invite the ministry team. Do we have a ministry team to come forward? And, uh, and saints, just come and say, I want to catch fire.
I want a night of fire. So let me invite you to come forward and uh, come and stand at the front. Make room. There's plenty of room either side. The team will be here. If you just stand and just say, God, I want more of you, and then the team are going to pray for you. Don't be embarrassed, and uh, don't leave it all night if you're going to come, because we're going to have food later. But we want to meet with God. We want to receive his anointing. And the rest, let's worship and let's pray for those who come forward. Let God bless them. Amen? Thank you. Let's worship.